0: Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about the real marvel as Jesus saw it. I want to read to you a story that has always fascinated me. I love this scene in the Bible where we meet the man that made Jesus marvel. What a thought that is. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10 this morning. And just as you're doing that, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you that, you know, as Pastor Kelly said, you know, we are able to gather, to read scripture, to worship together as a body, as your body, Lord, this morning. And so we ask that you would just come into this place. Let these not be my words, let them be your words, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit just come and move across, touching hearts, saying what you need to say into our lives this morning, and uh, just be at work, I pray, in each one of us. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Luke 7, 1 to 10, here we go. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, here it is, he marveled at him turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Imagine what is being reported here. That one day a Roman centurion called to Jesus for help. The occupying force of Israel at the time, the leader of one of Israel's enemies, called to Jesus for help. This centurion is no ordinary rank-and-file soldier. He's specifically called a centurion. Now let me give you a little bit of a backstory. A centurion in the Roman army meant that he was an officer and was responsible for roughly 100 soldiers. Six centurions made a Roman cohort, so that was around 600 men led by six officers. Ten cohorts made up a legion, and so a legion was 6,000 men, plus officers in the Roman army. And I've heard people say that a legion was a thousand. It wasn't. In the Roman it was 6,000 men. And you might remember that when Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, he was going to be put on trial, and one of his disciples tried to defend Jesus with a sword, but Jesus stopped him. And Matthew records what happened in Matthew chapter 26 verse 53. So Jesus said Do you not think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Think about that. 12 legions of angels. 12 times 6,000. Sorry, there's math class today. 72,000 angels. He has a small mob with some soldiers coming to arrest him in the garden. And he tells them, tells him that he can call 72,000 angels if he wanted to. And don't think about the little Valentine's Day baby cherubs with harps. No, these were warrior angels. They were the host of the Lord. And so do you think that Jesus was concerned about being overpowered by a few soldiers and a mob? He was in total control of the proceedings that night. And this is exactly what he said the next morning to Pontius Pilate in his courtroom. In John nineteen eleven, it says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Make no mistake about it. Nobody ever took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down. He gave it up. And he could have called 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. Anyways, back to today's passage. The point is, Roman armies were made up of these legions of 6,000 men. And so in today's language, this centurion was like the captain in the army. And they were the backbone of the mighty Roman military. The historian Polybius wrote about the qualifications for becoming a centurion. He said, They must not be so much seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action, and reliable. They ought not to be anxious to rush into the fight, but when hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their posts. These were great soldiers, well-trained soldiers, and we meet several centurions in the New Testament. The first one we meet is right here in this passage in Luke 7. We meet another centurion at the cross when Jesus was being crucified, who at the end of the crucifixion looked up, at Jesus on the cross and declared, surely this was a righteous man. And then we meet one other centurion by the name Cornelius, who called for the apostle Peter in the book of Acts to come and preach the gospel to him. So each centurion that the Bible records was a man of character. They were usually older men, usually harder soldiers who had experienced a lot of bloodshed and cruelty in battle it got them ready for that position of responsibility. They were mature warriors, leaders of men. Now what would you expect to think of a man like this? Put yourself in the shoes of the Jewish people who were living in Capernaum of that, on that day that this all took place. The Jews were a conquered, oppressed people under the occupying force of the Iron Roman rule. And what would they think of the centurion? See, there was no love loss between the Jews and the Roman occupying force. So they would have viewed him normally with suspicion. They would have held him at arm's length as they would have been afraid of him. And so, how should this powerful military leader see himself? He's been put in an enormous place of responsibility. He's got men under him, he's got incredible power in this situation. So, how should he see himself? But more importantly than anything else, how do you think God would see such a man? Well, this story is full of surprises. And this morning I want you to sail four great seas with me. And so the first one is this how the world sees you. Luke begins his account of what happened that day with a little bit of a backstory. He tells us something about why the centurion was called calling for Jesus. He had a servant, as we know, we read it. Now, if you read that in the Greek, it literally means a slave. He had a slave that was very sick. In fact, he was at the point of death. And Luke says that the slave was very highly valued to the centurion. And that begins to tell us something right away about the centurion. He was compassionate. In spite of how the Jews would look on these Roman soldiers, in spite of the kind of military man that he was, he was a compassionate man. He had heard about Jesus and obviously he had been told about the amazing miracles that Jesus had been working and the authority in which Jesus was teaching. And the centurion sent word to see if Jesus would come and do something for his servant. If the stories were true, maybe Jesus could heal his servant. Now, Matthew recounts the same story as well in his gospel, but he seems to tell it a little bit differently. And because of this, some people say, oh, well, there's a contradiction here. Luke doesn't line up with Matthew. Well, it's not a contradiction at all. And that's the thing. Some people will use these contradictions to discredit the Bible, but it's not a contradiction. Matthew seems to say that the centurion came and spoke to Jesus. Well, here Luke says that he sent some Jewish friends to get Jesus. And so it's not a contradiction because Luke is just filling in more detail with all that is happening here. If Prime Minister Trudeau sent an ambassador to Kim Jong-un of uh, North Korea to let him know that Canada would help with their influx of COVID cases, I'm sure that you would see in the headlines the next day that said, Trudeau tells Jong-un Canada will help. And that's a perfectly accurate report. You would have to read further into the story to find out that Trudeau didn't actually talk to him, but he sent an ambassador. He sent a messenger. And that's clearly what's happening between the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. These two different accounts, these two different contradictions. And so these Jewish friends of the centurion came and spoke to Jesus on his behalf. And one of the reasons that they may have come instead of the centurion himself coming is because of the normal relationship that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Particularly between the Jews and the Romans. And very particularly between the occupying Roman soldiers and the Jewish people. Again, remember I said, there was no love loss. Under normal circumstances, this Roman centurion would have probably expected that a Jewish rabbi would ignore him completely because they were seen as the spiritual guides of Israel. Many of the rabbis would have seen it as their duty to not show any kind of a response to these Roman occupiers at all. We only have one king, and that is God Jehovah. That is what their response would have been. And what's astonishing is that this group of Jewish people actually agreed to represent the centurion to Jesus. They clearly admired him. They commended him to Jesus. And you wouldn't have seen that every day. Look at verses 4 and 5. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. So how did other people see this man? He had the trust of Rome. Otherwise, he wouldn't have this job as a centurion. He had the respect of his 100 soldiers. And I can tell you that because the Roman army was a very disciplined force. But he he even had won the respect and the love of the local Jewish people. He was seen as a benevolent man. He was a kind man. He was a good man. He loves our nation. He even built us a synagogue, they said. And so he obviously had some money too. But look at what they said about him to Jesus. He is worthy. He is deserving that you should answer this request. He's worthy of it. He's done enough to earn it from you, Jesus. Come on, help him out. Well, the world looked on this man, and they saw some of his deeds, and they liked what they saw. They looked at the kind of person he was, and they liked him. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. And that's true. Go down onto Main Street after church, ask people, do you think you're a good person? And I can predict to you that about 99.9% of them will say, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. You even get some people that will say, ask my friends, they think I'm a good person. And that's what matters to us. It's what we derive our self-esteem from. How the world sees you. This centurion had every reason to think highly of himself. Every man loves to proclaim his own goodness. He could have done this because the world thought very highly of him. And in their eyes, he was worthy. And listen, if you're in an enemy town perceived as the oppressor, it's really quite surprising that people would like you. What's even more surprising is how this centurion responded to the admiration of men. It leads us to the second point in the story, which is this. How you see yourself. Luke 7, 6-7 says, And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to them, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, But say the word and let my servant be healed. So everyone is saying he is worthy. And he's saying, no, I am not worthy. Which is surprising. One of the most perilous things you can do in your life is start believing your own publicity. Let me repeat that. One of the most perilous things you can do in life is to start believing your own publicity. When people say nice things and flatter you, because that will puff you up with pride, and it will change your perspective. This centurion was not self-confident, even though other people said nice things about him. He didn't believe his own publicity. He knew in his heart of hearts what his own standing was in life, what his own standing was before God, And you might ask, did this centurion even believe in God? As a Roman, he would have believed in a lot of gods due to the number that the Romans worshipped. But I think it's significant that it says he built them a synagogue. This is a man whose heart is open to the true and the living God, the God that the Jews worshipped. And I think that he had come into this area and it had impacted him to see the worship of the true and the living God. And so his heart is open, and he knows his own standing with God. I'm not worthy, he says. The world will try to lull you into a false sense of security. But this century knew how many times every single day he fell short of God's standards. He knew that he, like all of us, was finding it impossible to measure up. If you were honest this morning, how many of you would say that you can't measure up to your own standards, let alone God's standards? We find we can't even keep our own requirements for how a person should live. And he openly admitted, I'm not worthy, not even to have Jesus come into my house. I didn't even want you to trouble yourself walking down the road, Jesus. You could have just sent word because I'm not worthy to have you here. The problem is that so many people are trying to impress God with their religion to get his attention. Millions of people are attempting to show God that they are worthy of him to approve of them. Look, I built a synagogue. Look, I gave money to the church. Look, I help old ladies across the street. Look, I rescue hurt animals. I give to charity. Look at what kind of a person I am. The Jews were concerned with the centurion's worthiness. They believed him to be worthy after all. He built them a synagogue. The centurion himself was also concerned about his own worthiness, but for another reason. He did not see himself as worthy at all. And so what is the standard? If other people are the standard, then I will be able to convince myself that I am not that bad. At least I'm not an axe murderer. Have you guys heard that statement? I'm sure we all have. It's not much of a standard, though, is it? At least I'm not an axe murderer. At least I'm not like that guy over there. you know? He's obnoxious, he lies, he cheats, he's gone to prison. He's done this, he's done that. At least I'm not like them. I'm not like Deborah Surgiing. but you know, maybe not at that standard, but at least I'm not an axe murderer. And so we say we're not that bad, really. The problem is, whoever is the highest, who's ever on the highest rung of the holiness in this life, whomever you think is the holy, holiest person in this world right now, they are so far short of God's glory themselves. They're not the standard. God is the standard. God, who is absolutely holy and perfect, just, true, never makes a mistake, never sins, never ever does anything evil. There's no shadow of turning in him. There's absolutely no changeability in him. He is the standard that we should live by. But how do you see yourself in the light of that? Still, so many people become intoxicated with their own importance though. And the Bible says as in Romans twelve 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. There is nothing on earth quite as rare as a person with an honest self-appraisal who can look at themselves and see themselves truly. And so turn with me, if you have in your Bibles, to James 4, starting in verse 6. We're going to read four verses, 6 to 10. So I guess really five verses. Math's not my thing this morning, I don't think. James 4, 6 to 10. But he gives more grace Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, some translations say lament, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's what the Bible tells you to do. It's not what the world tells you to do. The world says eat, drink, and be merry. The Bible says lament, mourn, and weep. The Bible says you need to humble yourself, not climb the ladder. And so the centurion didn't believe his own publicity. The world saw him as worthy, but he knew the real truth. And here he is humbling himself in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the Jews. He's a captain in the Roman army. He has the authority over this region. And yet he bows before this rabbi and says, I am not worthy. Well, the third thing is how you see Jesus. Luke seven seven eight 8 says, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, But say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes; and to another, come, and he comes. And my servant do this, and he does it. Here we get to it—the most important matter of all, because the because today, the day that we live in, the holy grail that everyone says you've got to find, that everyone is chasing after, is a good self-esteem especially after these last two and a half years. You have to think good of yourself. Think well of yourself. Good self-esteem. But I want to tell you that from a biblical perspective, a good self-esteem is not important at all. What is important is a proper Christ-esteem. It's not how you see yourself, it's how you see Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. This centurion realized something about Jesus. He saw in him the authority of a superpower kingdom. He said, Jesus, I know who you are. He says, I'm a man under authority. He knew that the whole of Rome was behind him and he would do as he was told. But because Rome was behind him, he could tell soldiers what to do. He could tell servants what to do and they obeyed him. He was a man under authority And you could imagine him thinking, I see the authority you have, Jesus. You're working miracles. You're speaking with such incredible teaching authority. I see all of this. And I see you are backed by an amazing authority. Ivor Powell wrote about this. He said, The officer saw Caesar's kingdom and recognized that the weight of his own commands was only explained by the authority he represented. He also saw a great empire in which Jesus of Nazareth held high office. The teacher represented eternal powers and unseen angelic servants that were waiting to fulfill his desires. The centurion sees and recognizes a man with true authority. He said, but say the word, just give the order. See, the the centurion knew something about this because giving orders that would be instantly obeyed, was his business. He understood this. He did it all the time. It was his job to understand authority. He was under authority. He had authority, and he was able to recognize authority here on assignment in Palestine. He was there peacekeeping. It was his job to know who the most important people in town were, who the most, people, most important people in the nation were, He knew how to deal with them because he had to keep the peace where he was. If a police officer showed up at your door with a warrant and they tell you to open up, you'd be very foolish not to open the door. I don't know about now what they say, but I know in the past they used to say what? Open up in the name of the law. They are backed by an authority and it's not just empty words. You might think, well, there's just one little police officer outside. I can take him. Problem is, if you don't cooperate within a few minutes, you'll be facing a half a dozen squad cars. Keep resisting, you now have a major issue. One police officer will have a SWAT team show up. And if it continues to escalate, who knows? The RCMP, the military... That one police officer is a man under authority. And you can never have real authority until you are under authority. The centurion recognized in Jesus one with great and true authority. And so how do you see Jesus today? Do you recognize who he is? Do you recognize him as the Lord of heaven, the King of kings? The one who is coming to reign and rule forever? The one who spoke the world into existence. Do you realize who Jesus is? This centurion instantly recognized the authority of Jesus. And finally, I said we would sail the four great seas. Well, here's the fourth one. How the Lord sees you. How did did Jesus see this centurion? Look at verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. You can see Jesus, you know, looking at the crowd around him. You know, you guys look down on Gentiles. You look down on the Romans. You can't stand them. But I tell you something. I've been teaching all over the area and I haven't found a Jewish person with this kind of faith. Look at the word marvel. He marveled at the centurion. There's only twice that we read that Jesus was marveled. That he wondered. It's only two times. It's here. And the other time is when the inhabitants of Nazareth did not believe in him. Isn't that interesting? The only time that Jesus marveled, was when he went to his hometown. Sorry, the only other time that Jesus marveled was when he went to his hometown and they just rejected him. Oh, that's just Joseph's son. And they didn't believe him. Look at this. Jesus marvels at the unbelief of friends and he marvels at the faith of strangers. He marvels. Jesus was not concerned with the centurion's nationality, his status, his titles, his reputation. He was concerned with his heart. He did not say, I haven't found too many people willing to build synagogues. We better take care of this guy. He didn't care that the man had built synagogues. He didn't care what the man had done. He said, I have not seen such faith as I see in this man. He was concerned about the centurion's humble, trusting heart that was turning towards God for help. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Now, this was the occasion where, when David was young and he was brought uh, with his brothers down in front of Samuel because Samuel had been commanded to anoint a new king in Israel. And when he went down and saw these brothers of David's, you know, David's brothers were big, burly boys. They were already part of the army, you know. And they figured one of them was going to be king. This is it. But in the end, God picked none of them. And it came down to the last of them. David, a shepherd boy, a little scrawny boy, who was out in the fields, who was a little bit young. And look what the Bible says. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Look on, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God has never once been impressed by a big personality. He's never been impressed by a magazine cover. He's never been impressed by how much you give on World Impact Sunday. God does not look on people the way that we do. The way that we esteem one another. The Lord looks straight to the heart. And he knows what's in people's hearts. True faith will always end up doing great things. Great things are the result of faith. The result of simply depending on God, seeing who Jesus is, seeing what authority he has, seeing how bankrupt we are, and putting our trust in him. People become very impressed with the resulting deeds, but God is interested in the source, the faith that produces those things. Jesus looks at the man and says, boy, I'm marveled. I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. How we need to get a right view of ourselves, church. That's what this story is telling us. A right view of ourselves and a right view of God. God acts for those who look at themselves humbly, who look to him with faith. They look away from themselves to him. That's who God acts for. That's what God makes God marvel. We're not living in days where we can't afford to kid ourselves any longer. We really aren't. I believe we are moments from midnight. The bell is about to toll for us and the whole world. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. And so how do you see him? Are you prepared for him? Are you waiting for him? Are you watching for him? And if not, if it's all about you and what you think about yourself, pride paves the way to destruction. Let me go back and read James 4, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let me get a little, give you a little reminder on the basics. When we had Christian Ed and it will be starting up again in the fall, I taught a fresh start class for new believers. But I also had some people that would come in who had been Christians for a long time. It's just about getting back to the basics sometimes. We could serve the Lord for a long time and we often forget about that foundational, those foundational things that we need in our lives of trusting him and not ourselves, of reading his word, and talking to him, praying to him, and not thinking, we are all that great. We need him. How you become a Christian is not about by joining a particular church or denomination. It's not by going through a religious rituals. It's not by following some set teaching plan. The way you become a Christian, which means Christ one or Christ follower, And let me ask you this morning, are you following Christ or following what you think is Christ? The way you become one is that you first, you recognize you need him. You need Jesus. That you have nothing in yourself, no matter what the world says about you, no matter what you have achieved, no matter what title or station you have in life. You lay it all down and you recognize Others might think well of me, but I know in my own heart that I'm not worthy. You admit you're a sinner. You admit that you've broken God's laws and you fall short of his standards. But then you say, Jesus, you know, I know Jesus is not like me. He's the one that I can turn to. He can save me. He can help me. He can lift me up. He can raise me up. He can break my addictions. He can bring me out of bondage. God through Jesus Christ can change my life. You cast yourself upon him. That's how you become a Christian. And you may have done that long ago, but how is that walk going now? This morning, what do you think of yourself? See, here's what I know about human beings. You can have a thousand people around you every day telling you how wonderful you are. This is what I know about Hollywood celebrities. They have people all the time fawning over them, putting them on red carpets, putting lights on them, saying how marvelous they are, writing magazines, covers about them. And then they get to their house, they put their heads on their pillow, and at night they say it's all smoke and mirrors because I know who I really am. They think I'm all that, but I know that I don't measure up to my own standards, let alone anyone else's. And that's why you see some tragic things happen in Hollywood, because they realize how desperate they are, how lonely they are. They don't measure up to their own standards. Well, how about you this morning? Is that true of you? It's true of me. We all fall short of our own standards, let alone the standards of a holy God. But if we can see in Jesus the one who is different if we come in and we cast ourselves upon him, if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, it's glorious, because he will lift you up. God says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be, sorry, a little louder, saved. If you come to him, he will rescue and change everything. We were talking with friends last night, and uh, you've seen it. Probably have seen it. There's a newspaper company that has an ad out. If you accept nothing, it changes everything. Well, I can tell you, if you accept nothing, it'll change everything for your eternal destiny. But if you accept Jesus, it changes everything from this point on. It truly does. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And Father, we do just that. We humble ourselves in this place before you. God, we realize that we are not worthy of you. We don't meet your standards, those holy standards. But God, we come humbly before you this morning to say, Lord, forgive us. Work in us. For some, this has been a horrible week. Some this morning are crying out saying, God, I I do need you. I have bondage. I have addictions that I need broken. I've tried to do it myself, but I can't do it on my own. Would you come and help me? would you just work? And so, Lord, that's what I pray this morning, that as you would just be working in hearts right across the sanctuary and touching lives, helping us to realize our dependency, our need for you, Lord God. How much we need your word, the Bible, in our lives more than we need Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. We need you. We need to be picking up your word and reading it and spending time in prayer. And so help us this week to prioritize that which is important to us. And may that which is important to us be you.